Legends once told of a poor... You know the rest. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 129. I'm Matt. I'm Jeff. I'm here in uh, beautiful San Diego. It's sunny San Diego. I saw... Get it right. We were, we were at the beach the other day, and there was a sign that said... Was it Sign Diego? San Diego. San Diego. Sign Diego. No, I saw that too. I was oh, going to really? tell you about that. So, the, so we, were on the, we were at the beach someplace, and we saw... A, uh, you know, it said San Diego, right? And it's what is a company that makes sunscreen or they make all kinds of umbrellas or beachwear, probably beach stuff, stuff yeah. you need at the beach, right? Yeah. And I saw another one uh, when I was driving, like a billboard or maybe it was the store itself or something, but it was uh, it was San Diego, S I G N, you know, like right. a billboard, something you place in a yard or whatnot. That's funny. I've never seen that. I guess San Diego is full of puns. San Diego, I love it because it's it's sunny and it's punny. Sunny <laughs> and it's punny. Yeah. No, I'm really liking uh, it. Sun, uh, San- <laughs> you're banned. You're banned in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed in San Diego anymore. And you used to live here, so you're kind of like, you're back home. Yeah. Sort of. Well, I've been back here for about six months or so now. Nice. Um, but I did grow up here from the time I was about 12 till about 25. Wow. That's like a big chunk of your life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I haven't really had much of that. I, I spent the first 27 years... One of those, like, yell that from a mountain. Years! Like, like almost three decades in Illinois. Wow. Before I managed to get out and go somewhere where things happen. So you're basically incarcerated for 27 years. <laughs> I was in prison. <laughs> That's right. Bad job market prison. <laughs> no aspirations prison. No, I don't know. I mean, it's mileage varies for everybody. And, you know, Illinois is, is big. You know, people in Chicago yeah. don't have that problem as much. There's lots of, you know... Lots of interesting jobs there and stuff like that. But I was from way south, six hours. It's probably just south. yeah, small town. It was small town. You know, college like you can be a teacher and you can't be a whole lot else. There was no game development <laughs> community there, what, so to speak. Of yeah, exactly. Uh, so what are we talking about this episode one twenty nine? First of all, we've got that announcement later on that we're oh. going to make. I'm excited about that. I wonder what the reaction will be. I hope it's not like mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yep. News received. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> what else are we talk about? I wonder if anyone's excited. You think anyone's like, man, I can't wait to hear episode one twenty nine. They're going to announce their next game. I don't know. That's Anyone? kind of stuff I hate to think about. Is there like three people, five, <laughs> maybe five, maybe ten people who are like, I'm really excited to hear about the next LDG game. Hopefully, we've been working on it for a while though. And like you know, you look at the old prototypes like uh, Project Skirmish, Project Tactics. Those were all leading to this, right? Like yeah, they were related in various ways. I guess. Like, what your next game is is very much, de- like, determined by the things that you're not working on as well, or the things that you tried, and you, like, you followed that road to the end, and you got to the end, and you were like, that's not that's not the right path kind of thing. We actually had another prototype that we didn't talk about very much. We did? Yeah. What's... Can you... <laughs> you don't know? Do sign language at me. <laughs> okay. Which one? Uh, it starts with a letter. <laughs> <laughs> not a number. So, it wasn't one million shark deaths no actually that sounds like a pretty cool one well we'll let you think about it and we'll get back to you later in the show and maybe you'll have remembered by then okay oh i like it a, a, a call out to the to, to later in the episode right um i'm going to talk a little bit about e3 actually let's just jump into this stuff because uh so we're going to talk about some more prototypes we're going to talk a little bit about a wizard's a lizard and how we <laughs> we need your help i feel like we're always asking for people's help so like sometimes i want it to not it for it to not be about us for like we're not asking for help we're actually like trying to help others perhaps lost cast man 
It's true. We were talking about that just yesterday. Or was it me and my wife? I think it was me and you. Like, if you don't help yourself, who's going to? Like, you need to be your own advocate. Right? That sounds like it could have been either of us. Yeah, it does. But thanks for getting me confused with your wife. That's, <laughs> that's cool. That happens regularly. <laughs> I'm walking around naked and you're like, Matt, not your wife. Clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> this is a closed zone. <laughs> we have to put up a sign. <laughs> Clothes only. Jeez. Not your wife. Um. Anyway, yeah, I went to uh, E3 last week, which was kind of fun because it was the the first time I went to E3 um, uh, officially, <laughs> especially as a, I had like an official LDG badge. Mm. Felt very legitimate. You got a free pass because we are technically in the industry. We are, yeah. E3 is interesting. I think a lot of people in general, they hear about conferences, especially these big conferences, like the big expos, you know, like those are the ones like GDC... And packs were like you can spend a lot of money going to those, you oh, know, yeah. like GDC especially. Like you can like the the upper badges with all the tutorials thousands and the of some, thousands of dollars. Yes, multiple thousands, multiple thousands. And E three is a little different because it's it's a trade show. It's for industry. the The way they monetize basically is the booths, you know, like so Sony has like a ridiculous giant presence there and it really costs them right like a lot of money like that's a huge marketing campaign for them right and you know all the major companies like the ones involved with games they have to have presences and not only there. like the <laughs> rent right they probably rent the space from the e3 conference organizers but they also spend probably more money like on all their booth decorations and like yeah. people demand the booths and like yeah content for the booth it's very else. much like a temporary house you know like first <laughs> you have to buy your land you know then you have to like you know those booths aren't free and some of them oh man the bethesda booth was that, it crazy that thing was great well not even just the booth but like um they had this really big stand so they're they're uh they're promoting fallout 4 mm, which yeah. i'm actually really excited about and they had uh this giant robot i don't know what you call these things i haven't played fallout 3 in a long time but it's like this floating robot deal. It, remi- it actually reminded me a lot of the uh, the robot that comes out of the meteor that lands on Hoth in Star Wars. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, meteor they're, like, they're kind of like drone things. It's it like looks like a drone with like hanging. Like it's like a jellyfish. Yeah, jellyfish. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for. It's like a like a big metal basketball with a bunch of arms hanging off yeah. of it, sort of. And there's there's a creature or a monster or whatever you want to call it like that in Fallout, and uh, they're kind of like snarky. They're mm. kind of sarcastic, and so they had this big display with like a real life one of those, like life wow. size, and it's you know it's just kind of moving its arms. It doesn't. It's not like trying to grab you or doing anything complicated, but it had um, these kind of things it would say that was kind of fun. You know, it's got this uh, robotic voice, and it's like uh, take a picture; it'll last longer. Actually, you should take a picture and share it in your favorite social network, like <laughs> that kind of a thing. Uh, yes. But like, man, that had to cost a lot of money. I'm sure. And then uh, another one from Bethesda was. Um, did I mention this? Or I think I was telling just you about this, or was I telling all of our listeners too? <laughs> it was, ah, oh, I forgot the name. The the Doom monster from the Doom games that has those big rockets. Oh, yeah. We, I think we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, they had a giant one of those set up, and that was super cool. Um, but oh. it was really nice because it's like free. You know, it only costs you, how to, how, you know, transportation to get there, food to eat, like maybe parking or something. Um, otherwise, totally free, and you can spend hours just walking around and just taking it all in, you know? How many business cards of ours did you give out? Zero. <laughs> That's not the number you were looking for, was it? No, I don't know. It's not that really that kind of uh, event, you know, because yeah, like yeah. It's, there were indies there. I saw uh, Cosmic Star uh, Heroin. 
had a presence probably through some indie promotion or maybe because they're launching on Sony. I feel like they were there with Sony. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. I mean, you you were there, not, not me. But Yeah, they had a bunch. There's lots of different... I'm really curious, like, though, are there any, like, self-funded indies that are there? I mean, like, are they there of entirely their own expense? That I would say probably not. Although there was um, <clears throat> Tiny Build is, I think that they're an independent publisher and they work with indies. Uh, what's the one? Dungelot, I think they're publishing. Oh, Dungelot for that. And then um, uh, No Time to Explain. I'll put links to these um, these games. Dungeon especially, is really cool. I've played that one. It's really really nice. Was there anything like the PAX Indie Mega Booth? There was. Uh, Indiecade had a presence there, which uh, obviously I, I feel I feel shunned from, so I kept my distance. The uh, what was the other indie one? You know, it, what I heard was that it was hard to get attention unless you were attached to a platform because, mm-hmm. like the platforms, it was very much like you know Microsoft, Xbox, yeah, Sony, yeah, Sony here. Nintendo is like it's really hard to ignore those platforms right. and so they have they have they have this presence you can't ignore you know and if you've got even a small indie game where you're like you know hey we're on we're on Wii U you know like you get a lot more attention than if you were kind of this you know nobody like Steam. us over in a corner yeah we got a game on Steam and we're like, and I'm like shut up <laughs> was Valve there Valve that's interesting I didn't actually see a Valve presence interesting yeah uh, there, uh, so you looked at these maps, you know, and there was like here's a giant square that's all like Sony uh, Square. There's another one, Square Enix had right. a giant presence, you know. Um, but I didn't actually see anything for Valve. But there were like you know Facebook had a presence. I didn't actually see them. They mm. were somewhere. And sometimes you'd see like this tiny, tiny little square, mm-hmm. itty bitty little rectangle, and like you know, it's overwhelming because you don't really. Um, pretty much don't get to see the whole like everything unless you try really hard to do it and like you're walking through the conference right and there's this natural flow right you know like uh, it's probably a bunch of the subliminal stuff where you're like i don't know i just want to go right here you know <laughs> and, like there's, there's a, a bunch of lights <laughs> yeah there's like you know the they want to guide you through and so what that creates is this scenario where you're just not going to see everything because you might naturally just go right here but you should have gone left to see like these two booths that you missed or something mm. it's giant it's really big and right. there's um there's multiple wings even oh wow really huge it's one of the biggest uh you know events in in the games industry so, so. compared to gdc expo floor how big are we talking 10 times as big well five times as big so the expo floor itself in the moscone center picture right. all that giant room that's mm. one wing and they had three of those okay. at least and the wings themselves are probably bigger too, like taller and wider and just big, big, big. Big, big, big. Yeah, super cool. Um, I'm really glad I got to go, especially in official capacity. That was pretty fun. Got to meet with some friends and had some interesting chats. And uh, you know, if nothing else, it really gets you, I like, you know, I like to keep my finger on the pulse. Yeah. You know, it gives you a good read for like who is relevant right now, who has the money to spend on this, who, who doesn't. You know, like it's, it just gives you a good beat for where the industry's at. And like what game should I play? Yeah, exactly. What games do you want to play? Um, that's a tough one. I, I'm really excited about Fallout 4. I mm-hmm. liked Fallout 3 a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play the new Doom. I'm going to give them another chance. So the problem was, like, Doom and Doom 2 took up giant chunks of my life, you know? Yeah. And then they lost me with Doom 3 because I think they leaned too much on horror. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. Lost Cast listeners probably know this well. I don't know if most people... If, like, I don't really talk about this outside of the podcast much, but, like, I don't do horror games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, like, I can't handle it. <laughs> 
there was, I think it was Doom 3, actually. Um, I might be getting my memory wrong here, but I have a memory of being in, like, our first house with my wife, mm-hmm. who was just my girlfriend at the time, and, like, I couldn't play Doom 3 unless she was home. Like, the first time I tried to play it, I, I remember people being like, okay, when you play Doom 3, you need to play it either with your speakers up really loud or with headphones on, all your lights out, and play the game. And I'm like, okay, I'll try that. No, no, <laughs> that was a bad idea. There is a pretty scary part in Doom 3. So one of the things about Doom 3 that that's, I think was especially cool was that I think, if I remember correct, correctly, you can either have your flashlight up or your gun. Yes. But not both. Right. So you're kind of switching between these two modes where you're like, I can see a little bit, but I'm really vulnerable. Yeah. Or I can shoot things, but I can't really see shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so left, the Left 4 Dead games had that where... You, you the same kind of thing like when you are um reloading your your gun your light is pointed off somewhere else so you can't mm. see in front of you so that's why uh it leaned on the cooperative mode because if you're surrounded by your teammates you can still see stuff because their flashlights are down even right. though you're reloading your shotgun or whatnot but doom those games are inherently made i mean i don't know if they're inherently made as a single player game but they have <clears throat> significant single player campaigns Right. Right. So like that's that's gotta be something they designed in intentionally where you have to kind of time your blindness around your reloading. Very interesting mechanic. That sounds pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. I think Quake is more of the multiplayer Yes. Offering out of out of that studio. Yeah, like the original Quake, the single campaign single player campaign was fine, but it was really all about the multiplayer. And I don't know if they're doing that as much with Doom. It seems like they put so much work into like the monster interactions and you can cut his arm off with a chainsaw and like that's not as applicable to the other pcs that you're fighting it's more like just this specific monster you know that kind of a thing yeah um we played uh hero quest here no dragon quest heroes (laughs) that was the one and like the pitch was a little weak it was like dynasty warriors in the dragon quest universe Hmm. which i'm like i feel like you could needs a little more meat on that bone but at the same time i love the dragon quest universe Mm -hmm. the um the art style by the japanese person's name i can never remember also did dragon ball (laughs) and like just the monster design is so fun and playful and cool and all the characters like they had the um uh that dude wearing green from dragon quest 2 the like mage-ish healer-ish dude just Hmm. like a lot of familiar stuff um the chick with the whip from dragon quest 8 that's cool like lots of cool stuff in that universe i could see playing that game i never did play dynasty warriors and i didn't get into hyrule warriors either but Mm. i know that like dynasty warriors was such a successful game design that these big players were you know kind of i don't know about copying it but yeah they were definitely taking a page from that book so i know that there's something worthwhile there yeah i don't know uh, overall, a lot of fun, though. Uh, I definitely recommend going if... Uh, this is actually the reason I couldn't go in an official capacity last year is because you have to have at least two kind of official tax-type documents. We probably had it last year. No, we did, but, like, um, there was something we were missing. Like, you know, we had the, the credit cards with our business name and my name on it. Like, you can give that to them. Right. And then there was something else, like a, a W-2 form or a pay stub, which, like, I don't know, small indie companies like us don't normally do that you actually recently started using like a payroll system it feels very official Ooh, it's like no longer like yeah just some money magically appears in my bank like it went from that to like you now you you pay your employees through the system right it's actually really uh it's not even fancy it's just a feature of the bank we use they have an online system where you can say here's an employee in their name and here's the bank account number and then whenever you want you can basically say I want to pay all these people some amount of money each. Right. As a, you know, paycheck. And what bank do we use? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you can ask us on Twitter or something. No, <laughs> you can't ask us there about either. <laughs> you just don't want that information out? It's irrelevant. Okay, fair enough. See, that's that why really you're matters. the business guy, because I'd be like, hey, we use this bank, and here's our account number. I don't know. <laughs> like, This might be stuff that people want to start their own businesses and might want to know. <laughs> and then we go bankrupt, because right. hackers just are like, sweet, thanks. <laughs> sweet. Thanks, sucker. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always easy. cynical about like social engineering type stuff. I understand. I should be more paranoid about that. You would think that that paranoia would be more deeply baked into me because of Yahoo. You would think. They had that whole Yahoo paranoia. Paranoids. There was a whole team the called team. the Paranoids, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like that was baked into you better. Maybe because you were there longer or something. Maybe. <laughs> I was born doctrined. Yeah. Uh, so earlier I was talking a little bit about, uh, you know, trying to talk a little bit more about other people and how to help other people aside from always just talking about us all the time. And uh, on that note... There's the Laser Time podcast, Ooh. which I know we've sent some listeners there. I've never heard of it, or they just, uh, you know, reminded that it's a thing that exists and it sounds cool. So, uh, Laser Time is actually, there's a specific podcast called Laser Time, but there's also a network of podcasts in the Laser Time network. And there's stuff like uh, Cape Crisis, they have a wrestling podcast. And um, it's mostly run by uh, Chris Antista of, uh, of uh, Games Radar and Capcom. Used to work in those places. And I knew at one point that he didn't have a job and he was trying to make Laser Time his like full time gig, mm. which, like, you know, we know as podcasters for three years that that's hard to do. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> it's tough to monetize a podcast. It's tough to measure to see how well you're doing with a podcast. Like, podcasts are just difficult. And it doesn't even seem like it doesn't feel like podcasts are on like a growth path. If anything, they're just like kind of flatlining or maybe even decreasing, you know, like people are kind of migrating to YouTube and who knows, I Twitch. have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really know either, but I always thought that was like an admirable thing because it was like, it was very much a passion project. Like they were doing that uh, because it came out of this thing called Talk Radar, which was this podcast that Games Radar used to do. And that was like, uh, you know, Brett Elston and I works at Capcom and a bunch of those guys would all get together every week and make like this long podcast, had quite a following. And then... Um, games radar kind of had some layoffs and that just wouldn't work anymore so right. they formed laser time and so it kind of came out of that community it's kind of like a bunch of game devs got laid off from a big company and went indie yeah it's kind of like that only it was games journalists which right. like you know we've all seen how that uh, that industry has been kind of floundering recently it's like it's you know they again are like migrating to youtube like people don't necessarily need all of the games journalists like they don't need the reviews necessarily because they'll go and watch a let's play or right. you know like i don't need this games journalist reviews anymore i'm watching i'm watching uh, youtube stuff so uh, anyway they launched their patreon just yesterday and they're already at 5k a month wow yeah really interesting because uh, i i first saw it yesterday and i was like they were already at like a thousand bucks a month or something and i was like oh wow chris is probably gonna be able to make that his full-time gig you know and then i saw yeah, they posted that today. And I'm like, whoa, that's day one? That's crazy. That's crazy. And then uh, actually, when I was reading about it, um, some of our other friends from there, like uh, Henry, actually, uh, I believe either you know just quit or got laid off or something. But there's now three individuals with whom they want that to be their full-time job, just like podcasting for a living and creating you know video content, entertainment, that kind of a thing. And uh, they're on a path to do it, man. I'm really impressed. And so, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Laser Time, I think I've been on Laser Time itself twice now. There was an Illinois-centric episode, and oh yeah, there was one where I had nothing to contribute because I didn't, I didn't know much about the topic. Go listen to that one. <laughs> but you were there. I was present. My name was said, and I think I, I probably like, mm, like yep. <laughs> I made some sounds. <laughs> I agree. Yes, understood. <laughs> yeah, I really contributed to that one. Uh, and then also, I don't know if VG Empire is actually explicitly part of that network. I want to say it is. Uh, but I was on that one a couple times as well. 
Um, so I know we've mentioned it before, but uh, Laser Time is basically kind of like a pop culture podcast. They talk about you know movies and retro stuff. And uh, if that's your bag, uh, go check out their Patreon. I'll put a link to it, obviously, in the show notes. And uh, for I think it's just five bucks a month, and you get um, they're doing actually exclusive podcasts just for that oh, show. Cool. Yeah, and we've talked about something like that. Um, but you know how it is. It's like we like podcasting a lot, but it just it takes up a lot of time. And that's the main thing is like everything we do takes away from game development. And we already feel like how how far behind do you feel like you are perpetually game <laughs> right? It's like the list of things to do is growing faster than the amount of things yeah. we've done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You like look at Asana, and there's like this red line like going <laughs> <Yeah>. up. Like <laughs> the trend is not in our favor, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, check that out. It looks like it's doing really well, and uh, I'm really happy for those guys, and they're a bunch of cool dudes. So uh, stop by, maybe give them a tweet or something, and uh, hey, if you got the money, uh, back them, and uh, be good, entertaining stuff. So a Wizard's Lizard 1 kind of needs your help as well. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, help other people. Help us, too. You just said a Wizard's Lizard 1. Oh, no. Okay, well... <laughs> we we've said that before. We're getting we to it. We're getting to it. So so that so a wizard lizard just today dropped from mostly positive on Steam, like the review aggregates, to mixed. Yeah. That's a big step because like what I understand is it goes from mostly positive to uh, very positive, or is it overwhelmingly positive, uh, or is it just positive? It's overwhelmingly positive, which I think is like ninety five percent or ninety percent or higher. Right, and it's positive. And then it's mostly, mostly positive, positive, and then it's mixed. So mostly positive is seventy percent better, right? I think positive is like eighty percent or better, and then maybe overwhelmingly positive is ninety percent or better. Yeah. But anyways, after you drop below seventy percent, it's mixed, right? And then you actually don't see a lot of games well below that. I mean, but there's probably a, a, quite a few that are, you know, I, I think mixed might be like half and half or better. So is there a mostly negative? I'm sure there is, but. You just don't see it because those you games don't, don't very get bubbled up much. Like yeah. It has to be pretty bad to hit to hit that. Pretty bad, yeah. But we're that's the next step. If we keep, you know, we're like <laughs> hanging on to the ledge, if the fingers keep, you know, yeah. giving way, like that's the next step down. So here's what I'm trying to say: is <laughs> go write us a review if you've got five minutes and you're a Steam user, or even if not, we really desperately need that seriously. Like, and just say like, you know, if you don't have anything to say, just say just say thumbs up, just say it's positive, and say Lost Cast sent me. It's a fun game, or you know what I mean. Just like we we need that help. We really do. It's funny too because the way that they visualize it is like on the rating when it's mixed, it's like red. There's these red letters. Yeah. And then when it's positive or anything above that, it's uh, like blue lettering. Yeah. You know, so they really kind of make you feel like mixed. This is bad. It's red. It's a big... Okay, mostly positive is fine. You know, right. like I, I would I would never... I've seen that on games I've bought before. Right, I've seen yeah. mostly positive. Okay. And, and what you think is like, you kind of... It's kind of par for the course with an indie game. You know you're not going to get the best AAA experience on the planet if you know that you you want like something solid. Like this game, even if I don't particularly like it, I I want something that's going to be solid and not right. let me down like performance wise or there's no installation crap or like the gamepad just didn't work or anything. You go to AAA games. You know you go to the games where they've got QA departments and they test the crap out of that stuff for years. <laughs> play like a Blizzard game. You know what I mean? Like right. you know you're gonna go buy, you're gonna go play like Heroes of the Storm. Or uh, Hearthstone or something, you know, it's yeah, going to yeah. be solid, it's going to work, it's going to be good, even if you don't particularly like it. And when you're in the indie, you know, scene, you're playing indie games, it kind of comes with the territory where you're like, it's going to have less of that. Mm -hmm. And so, le mostly positive, I think, is fine. 
but then then the very next step down from that mixed that's like it's a big step down and it, fe- it seriously felt like kind of a gut punch this morning <laughs> yeah and i hate that too it's like why why couldn't we receive that news at night <laughs> i can cry myself to sleep instead of it affecting my whole day and like oh that hurts okay let's go podcast <laughs> you know what i mean you're all defeated yeah it's it is kind of a bummer but you know what uh it's just a sign that we needed to do better yeah yeah and we you know we've talked before about how we're too self-deprecating and uh, we did a lot of positivity there you know this is a game that's made six figures yes i'm quite proud of that that's really impressive good for us (laughs) really trying to be positive here like here's a bat back pat it is it's something you know it's like especially a couple years ago that would have felt like a monumental achievement it's all relative you know it's just because we've we've come as far as we have that we get so so down about the the back steps but um, but yeah, I kind of spoiled it already. We've been spoiling it for months. I think it's been pretty obvious what we what we're going to work on next. But let's like we're not very sneaky, although we weren't really trying to be super. We were trying to be it. super sneaky. I think we talked about this in the last episode a little bit. We're just kind of nervous about you know committing to things and saying like this is definitely going to be the next thing until it's real. And like when is it real? There's never or not never. There's very rarely this line you draw in the sand where you're like, okay, it's definitely the thing we're going to work on next. You know. Up well, until the last minute, I feel like right, you're yeah. like maybe this other idea is better. It's hard, yeah. There's a lot of like you know, the more we get into the industry, the more difficult it is to you know kind of filter all the background noise. Yeah, and sometimes which is worthwhile, you know. But like, there's a lot of things to consider, like the platforms. You know, we yep. have some experience. We tried to put uh, AWL on Wii U with HTML5, and it didn't work out super well for us for a number of reasons. And right. there's other things we've tried. We've tried mobile. We've tried this. You know, So we have a lot of experience trying different things, and we found some success in certain areas. Um, but it's hard to then also shut out that noise of like, oh, you know, this is where the puck is going, like you like to say. you know, Yeah. Go where the puck is going and not where the puck has been. And so when you start thinking like that, it's good. It's a double-edged sword, right? It's good because you're kind of trying to be forward thinking but it's also you know you start to try and you know conform your creativity and designs to what you think is marketable yeah which is you know i think it's necessary in a lot of cases but can also be tough to deal with yeah um this is kind of a tangent i guess but like i was uh watching this artist live stream recently and i was kind of asking some questions about like how do you how do you kind of get over that threshold where you feel you know, you feel fake. You feel like I'm not an artist. I'm such some. I'm just some crap. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, imposter syndrome, big time. Yeah. You know, but like, there is always going to be this this threshold where you get over it. Like, I feel like a game developer at this point. Like, no one can argue that I make games. I've made multiple games. I've been making a living making my own games for years. Multiple. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that's very defensible. Even if even if every day I wake up and I feel the imposter syndrome. As a third party, I could defend it. I could right, be like, yeah. this is a legitimate career for me. But I don't have that yet as an artist. And like the uh, the first thing the dude started talking about was um, the business side. Beefing up your portfolio and reaching out to people and going mm-hmm. to conferences and, uh, you know, making up fake projects for you to complete and that kind of a thing. Like it was more the business side. I see. And I was like, I'm not interested in that at all. Because I'm in this weird spot that I'm sure not many artists are in where like, I've got the job. And I don't feel like I've got the skills yet. You know what I mean? And like, that's, that's not the order it's, in which it usually goes. It's on the job training. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. So it's, it's a weird kind of paradigm where like, uh, you know, I've got one, but not the other kind of a right. thing. And most people have the opposite problem. Yeah, your path trajectory is a little different, right? You know, you started yeah. out as a game developer, programmer more, 
and then you're like kind of pivoting because of what is needed by the company. Just, just what's required, yeah. right? Like the business stuff might not be something we would ever just do for fun or the marketing <laughs> stuff, but we, we have to do it. And so we put those hats on, you know? Right. And I know that like probably a lot of our listeners have that same kind of a feeling where they're like, okay, that whole episode was just about like running your indie game business or something. And I know a lot of people might be like, look, I just want to make games for myself. I just want to know how to make better games. Or like, I'm not ready to turn it into a business. I want to do this as a hobby, maybe perpetually, maybe for the next end number of years. Or like, maybe they just want to make a couple of solid games first before they decide to monetize it. Mm -hmm. All makes perfect sense. Um, but that's the problem. It's just there's so much, so many topics to cover. You know what I mean? Yes, there is. There's so much. Yes, there are rather you and your proper speaking i know terrible and I, I always want word i want the proper word to be used uh remember last was it last week with uh peruse oh yeah <laughs> yeah we kind of we kind of hit that from both sides we're very nitpicky speak better more more clearly be gooder so jeff <clears throat> we had a lot of prototypes ever since a wizard's lizard launched we've probably made like six or more that's true. Definitely we, more we've talked about, let's either talk conceptually. About all of them. Yes, let's talk about every single one. No, I think we. I want to do just like a. So, Project Tactics was kind of pretty far ish along ish. <laughs> far ish along ish. Far -ish along. Is that the, like, you know, project manager? Yes. Professional. That's, a, that's an official term. Yeah, they teach you that in project management school. Yeah. So, so Project Skirmish, uh, we had these videos no, we were doing. That was skirmish. Oh, that was Skirmish. Skirmish, yeah. We were just talking about tactics. Oh, okay. yeah, we were just talking about, we'll talk about that one too. So, so Skirmish though was like, we had some YouTube videos and it was kind of like an action game, like a wizard's lizard, but it was kind of more isolated to single screens, you know, right. we've talked before about the problems there. It was like, for one, it was being built on HTML5 and that was a problem because of all the issues we've seen with the wizard's lizard. And then two, it was kind of the, uh, we talked about this in uh, complex city, I forget which lost cast episode that was, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it was basically like the complexity kind of stacked up in the the ai for these goblin characters and so that it became really difficult to make more compelling goblins mm -hmm. and we wanted to spread out that complexity to give ourselves kind of less work in individual areas um project tactics we were kind of hitting the same way where it was like you know i was directing or whatever skirmish you were kind of directing tactics and the problems we hit with tactics like what what were those especially um, uh, the problem with tactics, I think, kind of turned out to be that it was just a little too complicated. Um, I kind of built myself this prototype where I just needed like tons and tons of content to really be really fun. Yeah. I kind of built the system where you could have different classes and different, um, abilities and stuff. And like, uh, it just, it was kind of overwhelming. There was just a lot of work to do, you know, in order to realize the vision that I wanted for the game, it was going to be a huge undertaking with like. Lots of, you know, spreadsheet balancing, which is fine. And then, you know, having like all these different abilities. Um, I had envisioned like all these different classes, with all these different abilities. Like if you can imagine like an MMO, like <laughs> WoW, right? Where they have, you know, the warrior has like 40 abilities or something. Skill trees. Skill trees, yeah. I didn't Man. go down that route, but it was more, you know, it was a little bit more complicated than it needed to be. I've since played a better tactics game, <laughs> Invisible Ink. Ah, yes. Where... The way they differentiate units is a lot smarter. Like a lot, there's basically like a, a handful of things that any given unit can do. It's like, you know, any unit can, you know, hold a stun gun and then use it. Any unit can hold this other item and then use it when it needs to be used or whatever. You know, it's, it's right. more about how you equip the units than uh, their inherent class abilities. Yeah. Anyway, so it was getting way, way too complicated. 
It seems basically like with a game as simple as something that is basically chess at its core, you need to kind of make up for that with lots of options and skill trees and more ways to affect your numbers and that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially a single player, you know. I think that it, you know, chess really shines because it is a multiplayer game. Yeah, it leans really hard on, like, your opponent, right? It's compelling because it's like, I want to beat Jeff at this game. And it's compelling because Jeff makes interesting moves. And, like, it, it leans hard on, yeah, basically your opponent. And we didn't, like, we want to get there eventually. We'd like to make multiplayer games, but we're just not ready as a studio. We need to make single-player experiences because they're just, like, cheaper. And that's where our head is at and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think there was also, like, a ton of UI work that, was the other thing, that yeah. a tactics game kind of needs. I remember uh, I was watching, I think it was John Blow play Banner Saga, and it was he just had a lot of UI issues. He was like, I don't understand any of this going on. There's, like, all these numbers crazy, and there's, like, 20 boxes at the bottom of the screen that right. I don't understand what they do. And all that, there's so much important information on the screen. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, the turn order, and who, you know, like, who's going to act next, and... How many hit points does this thing have? How much magic points? What can it do? What are its defensive stats? Like, right. which status effects are currently uh, active? You know, is it slowed? Is it poisoned? Is it you know whatever? Oh, the state, yeah. Uh, this is those are complicated games. Like you know, it, if you're aiming for something like Final Fantasy Tactics, it's really complicated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's, it's a little bit more than you know. I think a one person studio can really handle. Obviously, it's not always true because people sorry, do, one or two person studio. People do it. People do it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, every studio is different. Yeah, like what people can produce, what they're what they're good at, what they're like, just what naturally kind of flows like out of their creativity. You know, like it's different for everybody. And that seemed like something that for us was going to take. Basically, that was the core of the issue. I think it was it would take a long, long time to complete and make you know good enough for what we thought would be right. the bar. And it's also it just I don't know. I think Invisible Ink did a really good job making a roguelike tactics game, which is what I was trying to prototype. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find that perfect formula where it felt good yeah you know it was like i couldn't really figure out how to structure the campaigns uh and the progression of your team you know such that the it married really well from roguelike to uh to tactics yeah but anyway anyways it's tough man it's really hard to be like what do you want to do for the next year or two like oh geez i don't know give me six <laughs> months to think about it i need to run some experiments right <laughs> figure that stuff out that's essentially what we did it's like after you know AWL launched on steam and we were you know doing patches and putting out fires or whatever we were sort of thinking about that and that's what kind of happened we spent a lot of time um playing with these prototypes and like poking our stack with a stick and deciding that we didn't like it <laughs> and then switching to unity and stuff yeah yeah and these things take time yes they do so the next game <gasps> what's it gonna be we know what it is this will not shock a lot of people. I know some people have figured it out months ago. It was actually on a stream the first time. Actually, maybe the podcast that I didn't even catch. The first time we said a wizard's lizard one. Right. <laughs> Which I said earlier. The next game is a wizard's lizard two. Dose. Dose. It's a sequel. That's right. And I'm pretty excited about that. We've spent yeah. like a long time now just talking about all of these uh, issues with the first game that we wanted to fix all these problems that we know were there, design issues, the, the performance ceiling with HTML5, uh, the fact that uh, a wizard's lizard is n- doesn't... Like, it barely matters that you're a lizard. Right. There yeah. aren't very many lizard aspects. I think, yeah, that's kind of... The primary reason is that we want to work on the franchise more. Yes. It's like, we like the idea, and, you know, we think that uh, we could do a lot better with regards to some of the game systems and stuff like that. And, uh, and we really want to work on it. We've been continuing to work on the first Wizard's Lizard, you know, 
off and on. We don't we don't want to rewrite it from scratch or anything because it's kind of a, a stable-ish thing that lives out there. <laughs> so you know we don't we don't want to make crazy changes to it, but we have all these ideas of things we would like. Yeah, to do. yeah, like the the ideas that we have some of some of them are pretty solid, but they're just not going to happen in the in the current game because right. it would require too much kind of you know redoing and just loss of money <laughs> essentially yeah because you know you're not going to pull in you know if we were to basically rewrite a wizard's lizard in a lot of ways today and pu- push that to steam i don't think people would really care it would be a lot of yeah. work for a minimal impact really because, small payoff yeah. yeah the biggest benefit there we've talked about this too would be that we would then have the option of launching on these other platforms like sony would be viable if it was built in unity so oh, we yeah, could take yeah. a wizard's lizard to different platforms and that's where too it could like it could see brand new life it could see higher sales than it even has uh on steam it's but possible. if you're rewriting from something from scratch you might as well just make it a different game yeah yeah exactly or just a new yeah franchise that's where a lot of it came from um i remember we were working on like project skirmish and it has so much in common with the wizard's lizard there were some things we were talking about and we'd be like well save that for the sequel maybe someday we'll make a wizard lizard 2 yeah you know we're like okay and then when that kind of came back to like the table it was like well what about because like none of these like we really thought I think for a while we thought that out of these two prototypes Project Skirmish and Project Tactics one of them would become the winner and we double down on that one right but after a while somehow just through conversation a Wizard Lizard two got back on the table and like we were both like hmm like kind of looking at it in a new light yeah and there was something about it like I I kind of for better or for worse usually worse probably <laughs> but I I kind of go with like what my gut tells me yeah I hate my gut. <laughs> a lousy gut but Your it'll gut be says, like i need to go to the bathroom right now yeah my gut says don't eat dairy <laughs> <laughs> just please stop yeah irritable irritable gut syndrome <laughs> ibs yeah uh but it, it, it i don't know how else to say it. it just made me feel comfortable you know like hmm wizard lizard 2 that okay. sounds like fun like i really want to work on that and yeah. i i have here's the thing too like we're very qualified to work on Wizards Lizard 2, right? We have the most experience of anybody in the world. <laughs> we have more experience than any other studio of working with Wizards and Lizards. <laughs> so if someone was going to make a sequel, it should be us. Unless it's uh, Riot with their Lizard Wizard Rankton or whatever in what? League of Legends. Is that a character? Rankton. W- what is it? Is it two different characters? No, it, it's one character. Is it a wizard with a lizard? Or is no, it- it's like you can build them in a wizardy way. The lizard? The lizard You character. can turn your lizard into a wizard. Uh, you can build them as like a caster type i think ever since we launched the game uh <laughs> i had you know google alerts like right. you should do is, is a is a good indie that has to do marketing and stuff and so i've seen so many pictures of <laughs> lizards wearing wizard hats and just cartoons and stuff it's a, it's like a i don't say common but it, it exists like yeah. there are people who turn lizards into wizards and that kind of a thing uh i've never seen a lizard as a pet to a wizard though so yeah. we're a little original a little unique a little so another reason that we decided to go this route is that um, we feel like there's been a good-ish response to uh, the thematics, the main character. You know, people yeah. submitted fan art. They've done comics. They they're really into it. You know, we've heard people tweet that they're interested in the game just because of uh, you know the idea. The name alone. The name there alone, was the yeah. uh, the joystick uh, editor said, "Would I play a game just because it's called a Wizard's Lizard?" Yes, I would. Yes. There's people in different languages even that will be like, "A Wizard's Lizard's main character is super cute." Like I really like that lizard. And so you know, from a business perspective, we want to try and you know see where this franchise can go. You know, it's like, yeah. can we take this 
to a sequel? Can we continue the life of this franchise? Like, are people interested? Do they want more? Yeah. And in a lot of cases, yes, they do. Um, and it's at least a thing that we have that people want more of. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. The one thing that we have that people want more of, besides Lost Cast. Yes. Possibly. And a little bit, a little bit of Lava Blade in there. It's like I a like small a voice, like, wait, Lava Blade's good. Yeah. Lava. lava. And we're like, oh, cool. Glad. We're like, stop <laughs> glad you like it <laughs> yeah but it's a smaller voice um this was a big one too and i think that this was kind of the final i don't want to i don't want to use nail in the nail coffin, nail <laughs> coffin. <laughs> not or, or like the straw that broke the camel's back right like, I don't, these are all negative. negative what's a, what's a positive one the f- it's the brick that completed the wall is that a, that's no not, it's not i'm just okay you just made up. that up you could have you could have rolled with it i could have i would have you, you would have known the difference you don't know that matt that's a common minnesotan expression and i'd be like okay it actually originates from carbondale illinois <laughs> yeah that's my beat i really should have known that one <laughs> what's with this <laughs> yeah it was um we are actually able to get a steam id which yes. means that we don't have to worry about steam green light Nope. We can say for sure, right now, we can say for sure, a Wizard Lizard 2 will be on Steam. I've already created the, uh, the application. It exists. Steam. It's there. It's there. And that's pretty exciting. And that's kind of a big deal because when you think about Steam Greenlight these days, it's it's something that is so tumultuous. It's always changing. Like the, the rules, it's still this black box. You don't know how to do it. What it seems to be is like the general kind of indie approach is you launch Steam Greenlight and you pair it with your Kickstarter and they kind of both will send traffic to each other. Like Valve right. has massive amounts of traffic and they have these Greenlight voting discovery channels and they'll give users cues to go and vote through. So like you will get some organic traffic to your Steam Greenlight. Not much, but you'll get some from Steam. And then likewise, if you launch your Kickstarter, you're going to get a bunch of Kickstarter discovery channel right. traffic right and so they kind of pair off each other you know like this one benefits that one this one benefits that one but, but without external forces neither of those things are enough neither are nearly enough yeah, yeah like like that's the kind of thing is like if you're in that position where every like we are actually where every single bit helps like mm-hmm. every little you know amount of benefit that you can get you you need to take advantage of that and uh what's great for us though is we don't have to worry about the campaign so we can focus like the green light campaign we can right. focus on other things we can focus on the game we can focus on uh we are going to bring this game to kickstarter mm-hmm. that's gonna be an important thing we'll talk more about that um later on in the episode so like that's a really big one for us plus like as we've seen you know the kickstarter might make x amount of money the launch on steam can be you know x to the fifth or something like it's much much higher right yeah Hopefully, right? Hopefully, yes. And so, like, Steam becomes this, like, okay, great, we got kickstarted, and we have, you know, barely enough money to complete the game, maybe if we supplement it with our own contracts right. or licenses or stuff. But then you worry about, like, some games just, they can't get on Steam. Seriously, like, a year goes by, and they're like, yeah, I've been chugging away every week. I'll be like, help. <laughs> Green Knight, please. <laughs> Send me your votes. <laughs> yeah. So, like, just not having to worry about that, that was the final, that was what we were like, okay, well, we already kind of wanted to make it, we already did all this work on the branding, and all this work on the main character, and, like, the name is pretty solid, there's all these positive checks. And we have an audience of tens of thousands of people who may enjoy it, you know, there's there's (laughs) six, I think there's 60,000 owners. Yeah. Give or take of a Wizard's Lizard on Steam. And 70% of them about, Karen, like, they liked it enough to write a positive review. Right, yeah. 30% not, not as much. <clears throat> Didn't like it as much. But, you know, 70% of 
you know, the right. couple ten thousand that have actually purchased it on Steam, and then the extra thousands that have bought it through Humble. Like they're all, they are all potential candidates for people who could back us on Kickstarter, buy the next game. You know, right. whereas like if we we're making something brand new like Project Tactics, that's that's an up, uh, uphill battle. Right. You'd have to come at it from the side of like. If you liked a Wizard's Lizard, you might like this totally different game from the same developers. That's a harder sell. It is, especially when we're not, you know, our studio brand isn't as good as, say, like, Vlambeer. Exactly. Where it's like, oh, everybody knows Vlambeer. It's like, yeah, it's a Vlambeer game. You know, they've done a really good job branding their studio. Yeah. And we probably haven't done quite as good a job of that. I mean, it's hard to tell no. from the inside looking out. No, I can tell you. Well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're not as successful. But I mean, you know, within our relative levels of success i yeah. think that even people that like our game aren't as attached to no. the brand yeah exactly i was actually thinking about the uh, the branding from a like company perspective Lambier's a little interesting in that they don't necessarily like i'm sure they market their individual games as much as they can and stuff but they come at it from the approach of like it's a Lambier game and that's why you should care about it mm-hmm. you know so it's like they're they have a strange attractor for their company you know, they've got a lot going on there. For one, they've got this bear on fire. Like, Vlambeer means fire bear in du- Dutch? Sure. <laughs> European language I'm not familiar with. Uh, and, and that's cool because it gives you, like, it's pretty much, that's kind of what we had with, like, that was our strange attractor with the Wizard's Lizard. Is like, okay, maybe you've played Dungeon Crawlers, maybe you've played Zelda-type roguelikes with random content and stuff, but you haven't played one with the Lizard. And and that's our thing. And they're like, maybe you follow a bunch of two-man indie game companies, but you don't follow one with a fire bear mascot. <laughs> and like, if you like bears, you like us. Or if, if you, you like, like fire. lighting bears on fire. <laughs> if you think bears should naturally always be on fire, you will enjoy our company, you know? And like Lost Decade doesn't have, it doesn't have any of that. Like the one thing you could people could latch onto probably is that, well, it sounds like you guys are inspired by like the golden era of classic games. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some Japanese, <clears throat> like, what was economic downturn yeah (laughs) i really love the economic downturn in japan is that what you guys are all about like it's it's less it's more confusing right like the branding for our our specific company is is kind of weak in that regard right i'm gonna blame you as the marketing guy what what what'd you say i'm gonna blame you as the marketing marketing guy yes yeah you're right to do it so that's uh awo2 coming to steam coming to kickstarter yep kickstarter will probably be um Midsummer, mid to late summer. Yeah. And what else? What what is a Wizards Lizard 2, Matt? Let's talk about it. Well, El Director. <laughs> this is something else actually that's pretty interesting. Uh I'm really glad that we like you you look at the prototypes and you think, you know, let's say I spent two months on skirmish and you spent two months on tactics it's easy to look at that and be like you guys wasted a bunch of money on nothing you got (laughs) nothing nothing out of it right there's all these intangible benefits you're learning the whole way you know you're 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 just you're benefiting from just doing it having done it even if you don't take it all the way to the finish line there's all these things that you learn and then you shelve it and you take that to the next project you know i think if you think about writers i'm sure they have a lot of unfinished drafts sitting around oh yeah of stories they started that they didn't like they got bored with the characters they just couldn't you know, they got into this writing process and they're like exploring this world. Right. And they decided, you know, at some point they're like, eh, this isn't working. Yeah. Not the what I want. I see this. I've been following a lot of artists recently and that's another thing that you'll see is like, oh, here's this thing I drew. And you're like, boy, it's so good. You must be some kind of magician. How'd you just sit down and draw that? And they're like, magic. And then the more you find out about it, Okay, yeah, I filled up an entire sketchbook just on that. Like, I, I drew each individual element in the piece separately. I studied it from different angles. I I did individual pieces of just those elements. 
And then I put them all together in a hundred different ways. I pointed the camera in different areas. I tried different uh, color thumbnails. Like the work that is done is hidden and it feels like, you know, a really solid product or a really solid finished piece or anything really can often feel effortless. Mm -hmm. You see it and you're like, wow, you just kind of snapped your fingers and, and you manifested that into existence. And like, no, a lot of times there's tons of work that they either don't tell you about, they're not aware that they were even doing it, like don't think about it. Like, oh yeah, of course I drew that a hundred times. Like, I don't know, it's just part of my process or something. Or that point, like it was years ago for them. You know, a lot of people have been drawing since they were little kids or making games for 10 to 50 years or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And so it's like for them, it's just kind of part of their DNA at at some point. Yeah. And they don't even, I mean, I'm sure they remember. Like you're not going to tell someone, like how are you so good at walking around? Putting one foot in front of the other. Like, been doing like, it for 30 years. Yeah, you're like, as this baby, you're like, I can barely walk two steps. How do you do it, man? And you're like, I don't, you don't think about it. It's unconscious. But that's one of the things that came out of that that I think is really going to benefit us is um, the fact that we had these kind of like uh, one person in charge. Because, um, what was I reading recently? I don't even remember. It was, it was basically like when you design by committee, you know, when, even when you have just two voices on something, you end up in the middle road. You compromise on everything. Too many chefs spoil the soup. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you might like you want strong opinionated work. You want something that's that speaks with a clear voice. You don't want it to to compromise too much because then you end up with like, you know, local government where it's just garbage <laughs> because you're trying to please everybody. You know what I mean? Yes. And like that's one of the things we came out with with these prototypes is um all these intangible benefits, but also I like this one a lot is there's a clear director in charge of any given game and so like whenever for most stuff like we're very similar people and like we like the same kind of games and so, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and we like the same kind of products and that kind of thing so it's like for most like the vast majority of stuff we agree on and we can just do it but then there's these things where it's like uh i don't know we don't really either either neither of us are very opinionated about this feature or maybe we're both very opinionated about it but we don't know which direction to go now it's you <laughs> We have this director, you know, and that's going to be you in charge director. of a director. Yeah. And that's going to be you. Like you get to, you have the final say on this project. I think it's more, it's interesting because when we first start talking about this process, you know, I was worried that like, oh man, like I don't want to get in a situation where there's weird power imbalance, you know, where it's like, right. you know, we've always kind of been 50, 50 and, and I think it works pretty well. And I don't see the director as like kind of being like in charge in the sense of like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do now. I see the director as more about, it's like, herding sheep or right. in one case one sheep yes <laughs> <laughs> but it's more about keeping the project focused and, and moving in the right direction yeah and maintaining consistency yeah and, and also it is about like you know having opinions but um i think that one of the biggest flaws for me with the wizard's lizard is the inconsistency of a lot of stuff there's thematic inconsistency there's gameplay inconsistency yeah there's not a lot of overarching stuff tying the entire game together. Not, not good harmony. Yeah, it kind of feels like you and I basically had a big brain dump of cool things that we thought of and tossed into one game. That's how it was made. It, pretty much. It's not surprising. That's <laughs> how it feels. And Man, so we just, yeah, the, the director is there to help and facilitate the pushing forward on like a single train of thought. Yeah. And the hope is that the consistency yields a better product than... You know, even if you have to cut things along the way, like, yeah, it would be cool if this game had feature X, but it doesn't mesh with the overall vision, so it can't happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. I saw this article, I think it was on Gamma Sutra recently, where it was talking about, like, especially game developers early on in their career, what they really want is control. But as you get farther into your career, what you really want is, like, quality. You want to double down on what it is that you do, mm-hmm. and you want to do that as good as you can. You as know? well. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. Correct cast. That's <laughs> right. Grammar cast. Grammar cast. <laughs> but uh, that spoke pretty truthfully to me you know because i remember like you know working at startups especially with such flat organizations i remember these decisions are made that you don't understand and you're like i can do this better myself and you want to have some control over it and you go and make games for somebody else and the first game you work on is so stupid and you're like this concept is garbage i want to do it myself then you kind of come full circle you know like there's some things you actually you actually don't want to make all the decisions all the time you Mm want to be able to let some things go and just be like like for the music for example, like we've we actually already heard some Wizards Lizard two music from Joshua Morris, mm-hmm. and for the most part, we're like, do your thing, man. And we get music yeah. back, and we're like, this is great. Like, I don't want to get in there and be like, it's in the wrong key, right? It needs to be a faster tempo. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I could spout words or something, but like, he's like, it's it's a matter of trust, you know. Like, we don't right. want to worry about that. We know he's going to do a good job, so just let him do it. And it's it's a, the director's kind of a weird thing to talk about too, because it, it's really more about just consolidating some of the job. For that particular game and so like you know with joshua morse we let him do his thing because he's good at it and we don't know any better and we think the final product would be better if he just kind of owns it right and then that for you is also the art right right like you know if you just own the art and you have you know we both kind of agree on a vision but when you're making decisions about art it's you right right you're like okay what color is this going to be what you know his perspective like how is that going to look the shading that's all kind of like, we talk about it, but in the end, you're the one that's mostly saying, like, okay, this is what I think looks the best. We're going to go with that. And that's... Yeah. The game design also needs that. Yes. Des- desperately, right. yeah. Desperately. Yeah. And it's, like, it's kind of a matter of, like, you get on the f- same page with your collaborators, and then you let them go. And right. then you just kind of sync up once in a while and make sure they didn't veer off the page. Like, once you're on the same page, you don't, like, micromanage them. You just let them do their thing and, you know, trust that they're going to do a good job or whatever. Um I kind of like that. I don't know. And, and like, you know, we're going to have some balance. Like, you know, I'll get to direct a game, probably the next one. We'll see how it goes. We'll figure that part out. still in business. <laughs> yeah. If we're still afloat, <laughs> if we're not just making other people's games at that point, man, I got to say, um, I think we're both pretty nervous about the Kickstarter. Uh, we're always nervous about anything that revolves, <laughs> you know, making money from games because it's, putting yourself out there. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's a very hard industry because there's so many people that want to do it games are a commodity you know yeah. we've seen the prices just keep dropping and dropping and like there's more games than people can play it's a very common complaint that like hey i have like 40 games in my steam library that i haven't even played yeah. you know i'm not even a, a steam power user and i still have like at least a dozen games in my library that i haven't played i bought five, i think five games in the steam summer sale and mm-hmm. i've played two or three i bought three i bought darkest dungeon die hard dungeon and oh, yeah, enemy mind yeah and i haven't played enemy mind once you talked about the other two i think in the last episode <laughs> i played die hard dungeon for about five minutes and then i played a whole bunch of darkest dungeon because that right. was great the uh enemy mind I, I think is really cool it seems cool but i haven't found the opportunity yet where i'm like i feel like playing a side-scrolling shooter space game yeah it's a very specific genre it is it reminds me of being like eight or ten and playing like gradius and r type and stuff but uh there's this big gap you know it's been like decades since i've been really into I haven't those. played a game like that in a long yeah, time yeah so i don't know if it's like you'd think there'd be more nostalgia there for, for me or something but uh, it's got a cool mechanic where you can kind of take over other ships mm-hmm. like a core mechanic is like you okay so you control the ship and you fire other ships and you blow up other ships you also have the option of possessing another ship Right, and they use it great. There's some levels where you have to. There's some levels where you might not want to. Um, that's a cool one, and that's by uh, that's by Shell Games actually. It's um, uh, the owner uh, Jesse Shell. 
right. owns that, Shell Games. You know, Jesse Shell is the author of a book we talk about all the time, The Art Wait, of Game Design. Wait, what's it called, Matt? <laughs> is it, is it, are there some lenses involved? There are some lenses. There's oh. a couple, yeah. It's, like, it's a, like a lens of books? Yes. Yep. Or something? Yeah, that one. That's the one. <laughs> I think people know, know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> We'd certainly talk about it enough. You'd think we wrote the book, the amount we talk about it. You'd think. You'd think. Maybe we should write a game design book. We should uh, <laughs> we should get uh, royalties at this point. <laughs> we, we talk should. about it so much. <laughs> Surprise! We're Jesse Shell affiliate. <laughs> it's our new Spelunky. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, man. Um, so one thing we're gonna do with Wizards Lizard Two is double down on the lizard. More lizard. More lizard, and not just like more lizard in the quantity sense, but more lizard in the depth sense. Yes. One thing that you know. We made that lizard decision late in the process for uh, a wizard's lizard yeah. one, and it never felt like fully integrated. You know, it's no. there's a lot of things that you're like, ah, why is a lizard wielding all these crazy weapons? Yeah, like why a lizard? You're like, we have reasons, but there's, there's nothing relevant to the game, right? <laughs> and so that's one of the, the areas where we're really going to double down is make the game more lizardy, make it important that Raga is a lizard, yeah, and you know, have him be doing things that are more lizardy. At least thematically, you know, a lot of the game systems are going to be very familiar. Like there's health and there's mana and there's whatever else there is. You yeah. know, there's items you can collect and there's buffs that make you stronger. And, you know, it'll be roguelike in the sense that it'll be procedurally generated dungeons and la 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 la, all that stuff. That's um, kind of a fun question to task ourselves with is like, what do you think of lizard? When you think of a lizard, yeah, what we pops in your mind? Talked about this yesterday, I think. Yeah, it was like, uh, okay, they've got scales. They often have mouths, sometimes with teeth. They often have weird, crazy tongues, like snakes with the, they smell the air with their tongues. And or like, they have like the long, sticky tongue or... Yeah, they catch bugs, like geckos or something. Like chameleons can change their skin color. There's those really fun, like frilled lizards that run on water. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of awesome lizard culture, and we just want to tap into that and use those things. There's the lizard that squirts blood out of a diet when it's, eyes, uh, <laughs> oh my God. When it's scared. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It shoots blood out of its eyes? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Or there's like some gland near its eyes or something. I forget exactly what it is, but it's basically like, I think it's a horned lizard Mm -hmm. of some kind. Anyways, and and its self-defense mechanism for whatever reason is like it squirts blood out at you. Wow. How would would that evolve? Like I'm dying. Don't eat me. Let's try shooting blood out of the eyes and see if we can survive. Right. That's messed up. Anyways, lizards are very rich with like weird yeah. abilities, essentially. Yeah, and they're kind of untapped. Yeah. Like you're hard pressed to think of that many games with lizard main characters and like... And climb walls. Yeah, oh, that's true. Sticky hands. <laughs> yeah. So it's like we've always liked that part of a wizard lizard that it's got the lizard main character. It always felt good. People latched onto it like we were talking about earlier. So we want to double down on that. Um, basically any of the problems, like <clears throat> this is our approach, anything that worked well with a wizard's lizard, like if it got praise, if ship we it. liked it, yeah, no, but not just ship it, double down on it. Right. Yeah. So it's not like, let's say there was a problem with a wizard's lizard. We're almost more likely to cut that than we are to try to improve it. So like, let's say, you know, uh, oh, your automization was weak. Okay. We're not doing that kind of automization anymore. Like we're probably not going to do stuff like the gear like like the the gear was kind of weak you know like this chest plate or this chest plate or this you know this glove gives you plus like two attack or what like you know all the complaints about that kind of stuff we're just not doing that yeah cut it cut it out because it didn't work well and it's not the kind of game you know looking back on the kind of game we want the sequel to be or looking forward towards the kind of game we want the sequel to be yeah you know we don't want to be a game where we run into these same issues like how do you visualize 
these small stat changes? How does user know which item is better than the other one? Right. Um, so we're just we're kind of gonna stay away from like these weird, like almost like Dungeons and Dragons style. Okay, you have strength and you have totem power and you yeah. have soul power, and then this breastplate gives you plus one, but a yeah. negative two. <laughs> it had action RPG features, but it played like just as action roguelike. Yeah, it didn't work super great. Uh, I think another thing that we're gonna double down on is the the idea of magic. You know, yeah, it's weird because. It's a wizard and a lizard, neither of them which are like you would think of as warrior combatants type types. Right. And yet all of the items in the game are like, you know, breastplates and like spears and tridents. swords and axes and yeah. yeah, like gladiator type stuff. I think a lot of that came from like the, the main character used to be Zam, who's a gladiator in right. an arena, you know, and uh, there was all this death stuff. Like um, this is a really big part. You talked about how we chose the lizard really late in the game, mm-hmm. so to speak. And it was like, okay, so you're a lizard, but we have all this... Because before, when it was Crypt Run, it was really all about death. That was like our subtitle was really the strange attractor. Death is just the beginning. The game's not over when you die, right? right. And so it was like you start in a cemetery. It's very death-like. Um, you move to a sewer, which we just like. I don't know. We dig sewers. And then you end up in the crypt. So it was all like the content was mostly inspired by death, right? And we're not necessarily... We didn't really like that idea with a Wizard Lizard 2. It needed to be more focused. And so we, anytime we didn't know, like, well, what are we going to do? We were playing with, for a long time, actually, like a month or a couple of months, we were playing with the idea of you're kind of in this frozen wasteland. Right. <laughs> but, like, we realized that kind of felt just as arbitrary as anything else. Like, you're in a sewer, you're in a frozen wasteland. Why would a lizard be in a frozen wasteland? Something with this cold-bloodedness, perhaps? Maybe. But we came, like, okay, let's let's look at the name again. A Wizard's Lizard, Right. And so we looked at that and we're like, okay, so there's a pet implication there. And that is a true thing in the game. You are the pet of the wizard. Okay. That implies a house or a home. If nothing else, a home, right? Like the, this is a pretty common thing, I guess, like as an adventurer with a pet and they're out in the world. But like, especially the people who are going to be playing our games, they live in homes. They have... We hope. Yeah. <laughs> probably most. I think <laughs> it's fair to say the vast majority, you know, it's probably some drifters, maybe some homeless, maybe some people who just like, I just like to travel. I don't really have to tie myself down or something, you know? I'm a nomad. Yeah, Nomad. But like those, that's more few and far between, right? When I think pet in, you know, since before I got Koopa over here, I was mostly cats and cats don't really leave the house. So it was like your pet is very tied to your home, you know? And so we're doubling down on you are in the wizard's magic house. That's where the game takes place. And we're doing, we're going to make that as interesting as we can. And we're going to do like, it's also different. Here's a different wing of the house that's been like possessed or something. Right. And it's going to be kind of like, almost like, um, I think Luigi's Mansion kind of has this, where you're just in this big mansion, but it's like rich with secrets and full of content and, you know, ghosts and interesting stuff. So yeah, we're doubling down on like the thematics uh, of the environment too. Right. Like we're taking a single idea and we're going to explore it more deeply yeah. than like you were talking about before. We have like the cemetery and the sewer and it's like we're still going to have different areas for you to visit. Yeah. But they're going to be tied together more harmoniously. Yeah, more cohesion. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing I think a lot of people felt with uh, a wizard's lizard. It was like lack of cohesion between the levels. Mm-hmm. You start off in the cemetery and like, uh, I don't know, why am I in the cemetery? I'm trying to find this wizard dude. <laughs> Like maybe, I guess death is here, and we're like, uh, that would make sense, but no, he's not here. Right. <laughs> Keep going. Another thing that we're going to do, I think, is is try to uh, dial down the focus on combat. Yes. I mean, it'd still be an action game, um, but we started to think about enemies as more like obstacles. You know, yeah. enemies aren't the goal. Killing things isn't your job. You're not right. there to kill things necessarily. 
um, more like the things that are there that you can kill are just in your way or they drop things that you might want or whatever, right? right? But your ultimate goal is something different. It's not, you know, to kill things. Right. It's so like that works best with a game where you are murderous, like, okay, Hitman, Hitman franchise games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Make those games about killing, you know, like, like a, you know, Battlefield or Battleborn. Like the, these games are about battle. They, they're about confrontation. It makes sense for them to be very combat focused, right? But with the Wizard Lizard, it was always, I want you to go from A to B. It's an A to B game. I want you to go from here and, you know, on a, on a small level, I go from level to level to level. Start at the entrance, go to the exit, entrance, exit, and then at the end, go to the wizard, then take right. the wizard home. So it's like A to B to B to B to all the way back to A right. again, right? And it becomes a game about movement, about transportation almost. And uh, that leads you to like curiosity, like what's over here? Discovery. Oh, hey, it's a chest over here. You know, it's all about the movement. And then you have these monsters that are kind of in your way. And that's more interesting because like with the wizard's lizard, the doors are closed before your monsters are dead, right? We're not going to do that with this game. Instead, it's going to be like, there will be scenarios where this monster you have to fight. Like, this is a boss, or this thing's just in your way, or this thing's really aggro on you. It's coming after you. Mm-hmm. But there's also going to be things you don't have to mess with. You might be like, oh, I really want to, you know, kill that crystal monster because they're full of gold, but they're really hard, so I'm not going to risk it. And you have now that decision to make is do right. I want to confront this thing, or do I want to keep, you know, the core mechanic of just movement? Do I want to move past it? I think another thing is going to be a big difference is we're not kind of uh focusing on like a single room type scenario right even though wizard's lizard had rooms that could be large um the next iteration of the game isn't going to be like a zelda one style room to room dungeon yeah crawl and we had actually um we had talked a lot about that this is before we decided to this is i think back probably when we were exploring like mono game and unity before we had doubled down on it and but it was like you know, how can we make the performance better of something like a Wizard's Lizard, a game like that? And we were like, well, you know, we probably should have <laughs> made something more like Zelda or Isaac, where it was like just these single screens, because those are way easier to optimize. There's fewer sprites, there's no scrolling. It's just like, you can make that more performant, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was never anything we specifically wanted to make. And that was a thing too, you know, like this game from the ground up, we want to play this game. And I think that's pretty important, you know, because... When you first start making games, you make games usually because you feel compelled to do it. You know, you want to. You feel passionate about it. You love games. You love this industry. You want to put your mark on it. You want to. You want to participate. You know, you want to. You want to get into the mix. You don't just want to be on the sidelines and and just watch. You know, you want to. Yeah. You want to get into it. And I think that at some point along the way, I'm not saying we lost that completely, but definitely on individual projects, we lost that. You know, like we don't go back. Like you go back and play Lunchbug. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these games that we made, they weren't made for us. They were made kind of like, this is what we think we can make. And this is what we think that we can stay in business with, you know? And this is more like one way to look at it too, is like, you're the director. I almost want to see myself as a client, Mm. you know, like when I'm playing these prototypes for the next several months, hopefully, you know, if we get to keep working on this game, I want to be like, what do I want? You know, and I want to be like, Jeff, I don't think the game loop is tight enough. I didn't, I, I want, I've played five games in a row and I want it to be more rewarding. Right. Or like, I want a bigger challenge. I want a harder monster here. Or like, I, I want more uh, itemization here. Or just like, I, I want it to be, I want to very much try to cater to what it is that I want as a game player. Right. You know, and we didn't really do that much with the Wizard's Lizard. We weren't playing it that much. The stuff we were adding into it, we thought was cool. We thought it was fun to add. But there's a big difference between something that's fun to work on and something that's fun to play. Right, we approached it as developers, not as players in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And so we just need to, you know, our perspectives on how to create 
you know, pieces of entertainment or, you know, creative output that is focused and entertaining and thematically consistent has changed. Yeah. So hopefully we'll do a better job um, than we did with the Wizards Lizard 1. Hope so. so. We're going to announce officially on all of our social channels tomorrow. Yeah. So this will be, you know, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, that'll be Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, like we said last week, this was kind of like... um you know, you you listeners, we you are our kind of secret audience. You know, like like you you lend us your ears, and we're really grateful for that. And so we uh, we like to tell you things first, and kind of tell you because like the announcement's not going to come with a whole lot of explanation like this. It's going to be like, here's a sequel coming up. Hope you like it. You know what I mean? Like, but here it's like, let's have a conversation about it. And you're like, well, let's, let's invite our listeners right now. Like, if you guys have like, oh man, there's something I always thought a wizard lizard could do much better, or like I've been thinking about a sequel and how it could be better in this way or that way, or just any any thoughts you have just give us that stuff it'd be good that's another good reason to work on a sequel is that we have mountains of feedback <laughs> of things that people do and don't like about the game that they expect you know there's a lot of mechanics that we can look back on like you were talking about earlier and say you know this actually turned out to be problematic for x y and z and people's expectations of this mechanic is you know whatever and so right based on that we can either change or cut it or yeah. double down or whatever yeah i want to be ruthless this time Cut it. We're like Genghis Khan of game development. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. So the next step, yeah, is tomorrow we're going to make the announcement. Uh, please do help us if you can. You know, retweet it. Tell somebody. We want to kind of make a little bit of a splash and try to... Because this is going to be fun. The um, Now, like these streams that you do, mm-hmm. the podcasts, like um, pretty much anything that we're normally like, I don't know, working on a prototype. If you loved changelog cast from last year <laughs> you're gonna love oh man no we're not we're not gonna do that we're no we're gonna make it more interesting than that yes we are <laughs> but you know like the, the stuff that we've been doing for the last several months we haven't really been trying to like brand it or push it towards any given thing it was just like here's i don't know here's some tile stuff here's some graphics i don't know but like now we get to wave that flag right and we can point people to like here's the landing page here's a url there's actually a website that exists right and uh it just gives us a place to point people to you know hopefully like a place to congregate around and to get people excited hopefully and yeah it gives us a way to be more focused with our you know not exactly gamer centric output like the live stream you know right yeah be more contextual and interesting if it's like hey jeff's working on adwl2 development right exactly versus like jeff's working on something something aren't you excited about something (laughs) everyone loves something come join me with something and I can uh, start reverting a lot of those, like, it, it got to the point with the AWL2 prototype where, like, yeah. before I would stream, I would have to, like, rip out certain things that yeah. would be a little too obvious. Yeah. I didn't try so hard, obviously, but... You were like, eh, if it's easy, and it is, okay, I'll take a new prefab or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's something else, too. We'd actually, we've already done a round of, like, sprite, new sprite animations for Raga, and, like, he's gonna, that's something else. Like, we talked about doubling down on the lizard. We're gonna double down on Raga. Not, not like regardless of what he was he's gonna have he's gonna face all eight directions he's gonna have more frames of animation he's gonna have cute dances he's gonna have pain animations death animations uh we're probably gonna do some kind of a tongue mechanic anything that we you know like, let's say we do something like oh hey it actually works out that you know how lizards can kind of shed their tails or like regrow mm-hmm. limbs to get a- away from predators or something like we're gonna like my goal is to animate the crap out of that stuff like because that's what the raga never really had he had he had more it was awkward he had more animations than the unlockable characters but not much more mm-hmm. and this time like you know when you're playing these games you spend a lot of your time staring right at that main character right yeah. you know i want to polish him to just shine he's just like you know you play the game and you're like oh i just love you're this blinded by lizard. the polish yeah you're just like he's so animated and so cute and all that 
Yeah. Well, it's again, it's one of the things that we're trying to, you know, focus on the parts that matter. You know, it's like optimization, right? Right. Don't polish the stuff that no one ever hardly ever sees. You know, focus yes. on, you know, the key points, the lizard, the wizard, the initial environment, you know, the five, ten minute, thirty minute experience, that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're excited, but we're nervous, uh, which is probably relatively healthy for a company as kind of young as, as ours is, you know, trying their own things. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully you're excited. I'm excited. Listeners are excited. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this would work a lot better, you know, if it was alive. Anybody? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh, get off the stage. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to see what the reaction is. And uh, yeah, we're going to announce it tomorrow. So help us spread the word. And then uh, in the next coming uh, weeks and maybe possibly months, we're going to be working really hard on the Kickstarter. Uh, we're going to start sending that out to get uh, feedback and iterate on it. We're taking this seriously. You know, like like last time we were like, I don't know, Kickstarter 5K? <laughs> like we had, we didn't know what we were doing. And, right. you know, we know more <laughs> well now we have the benefit of some experience and so we can at least yeah. look at our previous experience and say okay you know we think we should ask for x we think we can get y yeah let's split the differences and meet at z or whatever <laughs> right yeah so that stuff's coming up and uh, we hope you're excited about it and um yeah i mean just you know if nothing else even if you do nothing else thanks for listening that's right we awesome? appreciate it. Yeah, we really do appreciate your time and your ears, and uh, it's it's good for you to be here. You have great ears. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's it for this week. Um, keep uh, you know, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash lost decade games. That's probably where we're gonna announce most of the stuff. Um, as well as other social channels, our forum, forum.lostlikegames.com, uh, the Steam forums, and all of those great places. We talk sometimes about uh, Joshua Morse, and man, just what an amazing composer. I, I'm so jealous. I, you know, I've spoken before about how I, I really like the music stuff. I used to want to make a career path out of that, and I just, I honestly just realized I was a little <laughs> too lousy at it. But like Joshua here, he's made a remix of his own song, Flux. Mm. And, uh, he just shows how diverse he is. You know, he's like, just, I don't just have this to say about this composition. I have more to say about this. And like, ah, oh, I'm so jealous. I just wish I had the ability to do that. Um, I wonder sometimes if people are like, you know, oh, hey, man, you know, the Lost Cast episodes playing these songs, is, that's a really good selling point. Like, I after hearing this music, I can't help but go and buy these Waveform, waveform album collection, you know? Yeah. Or, or if it's like, hey, I'll hear more on Lost Cast. <laughs> 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 I wonder which way that goes. But uh, you know what? If you got a couple bucks, throw them at Joshua Morse. I'm sure he could use it. And uh, this is a Waveform collection. This is Flux uh, by Joshua Morse. So I hope you enjoy it. Ship it.
No, I meant it to be a slight 